this is the Plant Book Club. Welcome to the Plant Book Club. My name's Ellen. Hi, I'm Tegan. Hello, I'm Judith. And I'm Melissa. And this month we read Murder Most Florid, which is a memoir by a forensic botanist whose name I have forgotten, Mark A. Spencer. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, what did y'all think? I thought it was an interesting book. I like reading about people's lives and careers and how they take different kind of job paths compared to the usual like academic science. So I found it really interesting to learn about a field that I never even actually knew really existed. Um, So there were some interesting things about that. I like the um, parts where he really explains how he uses forensic botany in uh, in order to really study plants and how human activity can impact them and what you can read out of plants. And um, yeah, I never really thought about that in terms of uh, yeah, how we humans may leave our traces based on plants around us, not just in the case of, of murder or crime. But that was definitely a new perspective on the life of plants and what you can do with them for me. Yeah, I have to agree. I think this is one of the the easier ones we've read so far. Like lots of like interesting different stories, um, you know, new things all the time. And it's also, it has a very different aim from a lot of the books we've read. A lot of the books we've read have sort of focused on explaining to people why plants are cool, broadly speaking. And this really has a very firm topic and like a clear idea of plants as they relate to murder or forensic investigation. And that was different from what we've seen before and quite nice. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have actually read, I don't know if I told you all this, but I've read a memoir by a forensic botanist before, by another British forensic botanist. And I think that kind of ruined it for me because I liked hers better. (laughs) (laughs) Should we read that one next? Let's let's go next to that one. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm sorry. I I found the book all right. I'm sorry to uh, Mr. Spencer. I I enjoyed I enjoyed reading it, but um, I think I would recommend the other one more. What is the other book? I think it is. I was looking it up, and I think it's called Traces by uh, Patricia Wiltshire. I think that was the one. It was. It was very interesting. But uh, yeah, should we do a brief summary of this book? Um, Does anyone who picked this book? Was it Tegan? I think I picked the book. Um, I think Yoram and I have talked about it on the Plants and Pipettes podcast before, like Mark Spencer himself, because I saw something in the media about his background and his life. And I liked that in there was an interview with him, like on a radio program. And I liked that in that he was talking not just about the forensic botany, but also about his background, um, sort of his childhood. And then also this really cool thing where he, he sort of did botany and botany related things quite early on. And then he took quite a large gap, like maybe 10 years where he wasn't at all involved in that. And then later on, he came back to it. And in the interview I had heard before, he also talked about some of the reasons behind why he didn't think that he was like, should be in the sort of botany world and came out of it. And yeah, he seemed like a very interesting person with cool stories to tell. So that's why I I reached for his book. Nice. And uh, do you want to give a summary or... Oh, I mean, so the the subtitle is Inside the Mind of a Forensic Botanist, and I think that's that's kind of saying what it is. Um, 
it's Mark Spencer's life, but it's basically focused around his job. And I think currently as a freelance forensic botany, but sort of with the background of how he got into the work and different stories. And it focuses on different ways that plants can be used to understand and solve crimes. So things like pollen deposition on clothing or the way that brambles grow to tell how long a body has been in a certain place. So lots of different angles. And that's, yeah, that's kind of the structure of the story, I would say. Yeah. He talked a lot about his collaboration with law enforcement and his buddy, Sophie. Her name is Mm -hmm. Sophie. Yeah. And his buddy Sophie, which is the part that I like. I think it also gave a good insight into how a crime scene is working and what the different steps are and who the people around there are. It's very structured. For me, it felt a little bit like military operations with all the different steps and how things go and who takes decisions, but also how they discuss with each other that not everybody has an understanding for botany and also his friend Sophie, who is working more like a forensic anthropologist. Mm -hmm. And both of them have the need of uh, very great care with the site so that nothing is destroyed or people are walking onto things to to move anything that could be an indication for uh, either plant or how how the murderer or the murder went on. So I found that very interesting how these different competences work together and the interdisciplinary aspect of that. Yeah, and building off that, I thought it was very interesting how it really shows probably what a real life crime scene investigator is more like. A lot of us have seen the TV shows where, (laughs) you know, the one person is doing everything on the crime scene from like picking the plant material and getting the fingerprints and taking it to the lab and doing the test and arresting the person in the end. And that's really not how, how it's working in real life. So one thing I found always kind of interesting, but also like a bit challenging with the structure of the story is I would get very interested in the case that he was talking about. Yeah. And invariably as part of his job, he's not involved in the downstream part of that. A lot of the time as are like the forensic investigators, they get the, the evidence, but they're not really the one solving the puzzle or solving the crime. And and oftentimes he didn't have the whole story or, or a lot of crimes are unsolved. So I was always kind of building up, waiting for a big reveal. And then it was always kind of like, and then we, we never found anything. <laughs> yeah. Not just that there wasn't the clear reveal, but it was like, oh, and then I never heard from the police again. Yeah. Like his part is done and it's really like, you're not involved. So unresolved. And and I guess that's, you know, the reality of working crimes probably is that they have this, you know, so much unresolved work that just, you know, personally almost have to let go of a bit and, and move on to the next case. He does he does mention also that there's at least three cases where he appealed in court, which presumably I mean there he did go further downstream. So I think there was a second issue that where there was a clear story and some things were resolved, he couldn't really talk about that because that's real people and real murders and he didn't want to like he actually mentioned at the start of the book, you know, it's not really appropriate for me to be discussing these issues. There could be retrials, but also for the sake of the families involved. So that was also sort of a imposed limitation that was not not on his storytelling, I would say. I really like that he was very empathic with all different 
people on the scene, even though he had his own stand and his own opinion and wasn't always agreeing with people, he could always uh, reflect upon why certain people would do certain things mm-hmm. and always very empathic with the uh, with the victims' families, for example, of how if they fail to, to localize a person and, for example, to really solve the case, that this is very trauma- traumatic for them. And also this kind of like, excitement that they may have and how this relates to other people involved like when they find anything that it means also that they either find the person who was murdered or they would uh yeah and that would mean some kind of solution but also more questions so i I found these reflections very interesting on the whole case i also like something that didn't really occur to me in in my head from watching you know tv shows you you have somebody who goes missing and then you go looking for them and then you find the person but like I mean what he was explaining is a lot of the like most of the time you find this body and it's been there for a long time you don't know how long and you don't have the connection to the person and that's kind of almost backwards to how we sort of imagine crimes take place from you know these rapid police shows on tv Mm. it was kind of both there was in, in one or two or three chapters that uh, I remember there was like a long stretch of failure where they were trying to localize the victim mm-hmm. and they couldn't find it. And it was pages and pages of how they would go from one place to the other and have hopes and dig there and know nothing again. And it could be really awful places like next to a ditch, next to a parking place, uh, like where there was lots of waste and uh, people had to use that as a loo and uh, it's like oh this is gross (laughs) not glamorous yeah yeah what did y'all think about his writing style in general i i thought it took a while to get used to but once i did i feel like i kind of got in the hang of it and emblematic of that i have a quote which Mm -hmm. is For some curious reason, I decide I need to find a food that is in some way emblematic of the decay I've just experienced. Short on options, I chose a potato salad, rich and runny with mayonnaise. Yeah, I <laughs> that was quite early on in that story. Like, what, but what does it mean? Like, what, what does it even mean? But I mean, you know, we've discussed in the past that sometimes there's not enough of a personal voice in our books. And I don't think that was the case here. I think you got quite a bit of character coming through and sometimes it was a bit strange there was things of like but I am a well-mannered boy or something like that and I was like oh (laughs) oh are you um but there was a voice there I found it to be a very British sounding voice to me like there was quite a lot of um like colloquialisms Mm. or slang that's British which I only know from watching Coronation Street on TV so um I, I thought, oh, to someone reading this, they might not really know what this is meaning sometimes. Mm-hmm. But but I did enjoy his voice. And going back to what you said about his kind of whole life trajectory, he talked a bit about parts of that. But I found myself wanting more, like wanting yeah. to know, well, why did you leave for those 10 years? And there was a part where he was talking about living in, in squatters' houses. And I was just like, this, this is a story that I would like to hear, but kind of jumped over some of those things. But I thought he sounded very, like, very interesting, a very interesting perspective, too, as being openly gay. And that came into um, some of the stories a bit, but I would have liked to even hear more. I mean, that was, yeah, so that was also given as one of the reasons why he left sort of the botanical world to start with, like, not feeling like he was welcome and 
then went off and was like more in the gay scene and not in the plant scene and then came back to the plant scene but yeah it I have, tell me more I want to I want to hear more about this what's going on here mm. I think there was in the beginning when it came to the cases that he described that not all the cases are actually real cases some are taken from mm -hmm. tv parts and so so I had sometimes in the book the problem of knowing like what is real and what is invented or what has he made up because when he writes about these cases I Understand. For me, this is very real and it's very detailed. And then on the same time, I know that in the beginning of the book, he said that he cannot use cases, for example, where people haven't been found or where the case isn't even concluded or other cases that he's not allowed to talk about. So he would use more like public, publicly available cases where he may not have been involved in and describe them. And uh, that I was, yeah, that kind of brought me a little bit into confusion halfway through the book that I thought like what's actually real and how much of this what he, what he writes exists really I I kind of assumed that all of the details of what he was doing was real but he wasn't necessarily like linking it back to the person's name or the exact way the murder went down as you would reckon that that's kind of the feeling I got but I mean I might I might be completely wrong I assumed that the trudging through the ditches with the with the human poop in it was had happened yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. real life experience yeah. right there mm. but then I was wondering if the case was really so that they had to go along so many square maybe that ditch part was out of a completely different case and not the one where they had to search through fields and fields for days and days and and go back and they they were going to the hotel and discussing the case for example that may have been composed out of many different scenarios and cases that he worked on and not all have been in that same moment I didn't get that feeling but like I, no, I, did, I didn't get it either but uh, that, that's why I was wondering because in the beginning he says it's not all real or it's not all <laughs> like it is I took it to mean that just as like a preface to the book that that he would be introducing some cases that weren't his own but I I can't think of any examples now um, off the top of my head but there were times when he would say oh there was this case And he would explain a case, and and I thought it was very clear at the time that okay, this is he's talking about something that happened, but it's not him. Like it was very clearly distinguished in my mind when he was explaining how botany is used in other cases compared to the things he did himself. Yeah, I, that's I completely agree. I think what he was saying was was true stuff that he had done, and then he was also introducing other things. But with his stuff, he wasn't giving precise details that you could link it back to anything sexy that you've seen on tv as far as i think that's i didn't i didn't get the feeling from the way i read that bit that introduction i didn't think these didn't happen with me and i'm i'm making them up i thought like some of the cases i discuss are more public cases but they're not my public cases it's like stuff from mm. there was like a kidnapping that happened in the early 1900s right Right. I really liked that part of the more historical part when he talked about when forensic botany was first used and the Lindbergh case. Yes, that I was mean, a plant crimes episode. Yeah. Like, <laughs> before, where have I heard this before? <laughs> yes. <from> you. <laughs> If you want to know more, check out plant crimes. <laughs> It's one of the early seasons, right? It must be one of the, the first episodes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah one of the first episodes. Yeah, it's about um, some crucial wood pattern data in the Charles Lindbergh case. Is this, I, I, I mean, I was uh, 
amazed by this, that a person, I have been working on wood biology myself and looked at wood, uh, but that a person could from uh, like, uh, what was it, a a leather, a shift make leather that was hanging somewhere, they would take the wood and they would look at the wood and could identify from which trees in which part of the country it was and which uh, what the saw was with a rotating blade at 2,700 revolutions per minute, uh, was this wood prepared? And it's like, how is this even possible to know this and to narrow it down to that, I mean, to to that sawmill where the wood was prepared and uh, who was the person who had bought it? And I was just like, yeah, do you know more about that case, Ellen? Yeah, I remember it's so complicated that like I can't recite it from memory, but that botanist name, he's Arthur Kohler, right? Mm-hmm. I remember he was just like amazing, like in that way that you were talking about, like he just did some incredible reporting work and finding where that wood was from. I like that then they tried to be like, there's no such thing as a wood expert in court. And can you just <laughs> imagine like somebody asking him questions and him just sort of relaying this intense, like extreme amount of information about wood. And they're like, okay, okay, you're an expert. Like, please stop talking about wood now. It's fine. You're an expert. You're an expert. Yeah, he was just incredible. Um, let me see. I have another quote that I thought was really funny. Um, in the chapter about fungi, however, each autumn, one of my mycological friends is on standby awaiting calls from hospitals relating to accidental poisoning by various fungi. The lucky chap on occasion receives stomach contents couriered to him in the depths of night. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, this reminds me Judith, of um, Shell, who we worked with in Sweden. He was a mushroom expert, and he would get calls from the hospitals often for poisonings as well. Yeah. Yeah. But so it's like somebody has vomited and the person is still very ill but not dead. So they're saying you have to identify what this mushroom is so we can treat them. Is that why, what, is that why there's the rush? Yeah, I think so. Or they like made them vomit on purpose you know mm, what I mean mm-hmm. it's very unfiltered the book in these ways also mm-hmm. from what he describes in the, one of the first chapters when he is taking off larvae from from the clothes of a very um, destroyed and not fermented <laughs> well <laughs> the right decomposed so I had a big uh, problem with these parts and I got nightmares after every chapter I read. It's very vivid in detail from what he sees, how it smells, uh, what the crime scene is about, and also how he feels. Often these scenes are happening in the cold and it's like muddy there and the surroundings are very awful as well. So all of that I'm very um, creative in my imagination when I read these things. And uh, yeah, I had I had some rough nights. <laughs> I said like through the book, I, I um, could not read much of it to get some sleep. So, but after the chapters that I read, I think about, yeah, <laughs> almost whole, my entire family died in one of my dreams through reading the book. <laughs> so, wow. If you're sensitive. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I, I, it's really I, I found parts of it gross, but I found it very interesting to read. I enjoyed the way it was written; it wasn't boring, and I continued reading. But it has definitely a, an effect on me at the end of the, <laughs> the chapter. 
Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. It's not supposed to be about having nightmares. (laughs) Yeah, what did you all think about? I thought it was interesting the way he thought about his career and the way he thought about finding uh, solace for the families of the people who he was tracing. I think it was also interesting, and I did not like this part, the... um, the long part at the end where he talks about how the police should have more money. Oh yeah, it got it got really <laughs> interesting for a couple of pages there, didn't it? I actually it was wanted to, long. I actually wanted to ask what you thought his opinions of the police are because sometimes he's complaining that they're not doing things right and they're screwing things up. Sometimes it's clear they have like different opinions, and then there's sort of a thing of like, oh, but it's not their fault; they're just under resourced, so give them more money. And I was like, is that reading the room? <laughs> yeah I totally agree and like I mean I bring my own like political views to this that you should Mm -hmm. try to help people before they commit crimes as opposed to after um so yeah I mean that I did not like that part it felt kind of weird and self-serving and I think that was the bit that annoyed me was like the fact that yeah you want them to have more money because right now they can't afford to buy you and I do understand why that's annoying but (laughs) that's a bit transparent to me yeah I agree it's like you have a conflict of interest here (laughs) (laughs) I agree there was a clear conflict of interest but on the other side I do think that there's a valid point maybe of Mm -hmm. they I mean if these um police officers are overworked and and can't take in all the information like what am I trying to say if they don't have enough resources to really do these jobs, that's that's not on them. And they maybe need a bit more support to be able to deal with all these cases. I think it underlined kind of the, the bureaucracy of police work and that oftentimes it's limited by money. Not like on TV where they can spend, you know, months and months focused on just one single case. I think they have to let let go of a lot of leads or not follow up on a lot of things because of resources. So, I mean, I think that is a yeah. valid point, but I do see the conflict of interest because it is totally talking about the ability to hire him to do the work. Yeah, and I think like there there is also an argument about sort of doing the high text or doing the the sciencey side of thing. I mean, that's also then my personal bias where I'm like, yeah, like if they are getting money, they should be putting a, a large amount of it into doing this kind of things, not into the the more bang bang stuff. But again, also I'm I am ignorant about what's happening a bit. It was also very UK based, and I'm not sure what the. I mean, I'm assuming the situation is also strange here, but I don't know enough. Yeah, I mean, coming from the United States, we're currently having our own uh, conversation about policing in general, but we haven't even, I know this from plant crimes, we have a much more limited forensic botany situation here in the United States. There's very few experts here in forensic botany. And um, yeah, it's it's much more limited than in Europe. And um, so, yeah, I don't know what the police are how the police are resourced compared to uh here versus england but i know that less money is going into forensic botany in particular yes i think like i'm just looking at the part that you mentioned ellen so me there was an unfortunate 
I'm going to say unfortunately, generously, um, sort of run on of two sentences. So it says, it's also apparent that there are institutional failings within our police forcings that affect parts of society disproportionately. So that seems like very significant, you know, certain groups of people are getting badly affected by the police. And then that is immediately followed by, however, I suspect that many failings are due to the underfunding of our police services. And I think we know enough about biases and, you know, systemic issues to not just be able to say it's the underfunding without at least saying not just underfunding, but also by, I think that that was a little bit tone deaf, those, especially just having those two sentences together, that kind of grated a bit. Yeah, I totally agree. And honestly, there were those contradictions in there and I would have expected him to think about it a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just made me look up when was this published? Cause that, that could it's have quite recent. I think. Yeah. It says 2019. So that's mm-hmm. very, so we could talk about the publishing very quickly because there was a couple of things like I really enjoyed reading the book. I think it was fun, but there was a couple of things where I think that were on the publisher or the editor, which I was a little bit disappointed with. So there were some things where I thought they just needed some editing for some some flow maybe. But the main issue was that there were bits missing in our book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not just one bit. There were bits <laughs> missing. And that seems to be a consistent problem. I noticed that on the reviews when we were buying the book, I could see people saying, what happens at the end of page 95? Like, where does it go? And that was such an interesting story. It sounded like one where we were going to get a solution. I wanted to know, know. what happened. And then it was just like turning the I was page. Like, this is the one. <laughs> They're like turning, turning, turning. Can I get that? Like, (laughs) yeah, and that that's really disappointing. Not on not on Mark so much as on the publishers. I would say, yeah, yeah. But also, I don't know. Like, you expect people to proofread their own book, (laughs) but I think you can't. You can't proof like so. Like so, that would be a, like a formatting, a publishing thing where it gets cut off. There was mm-hmm. also a couple. There was a, there was one at least where there was no space between two words, and that's mm-hmm. like you can read. I've read my thesis yeah. like twenty times. The second you print the first page of your PhD thesis, you realize there's an error on the first page, even when you've read it. So, <laughs> like, I don't think you can proof your own work. I don't think that can be done properly by any human being. And that is um, the job of the editor, no? But you should notice there's stuff missing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think the stuff missing is happens at printing. So it happens like, you know, they've exported everything and like somebody has to set it into book format and somebody has taken a coffee break and come back and missed a little <laughs> bit or something. Yeah, yeah. We'll absolve Mr. Spencer of that error, but yes, it was annoying. Definitely frustrating. I think maybe it would be an idea to write to the publisher and say, hey, we want this missing page because it's missing in all our books. So none of us knows how it ended. <laughs> just if you just upload it onto one of the reviews, like that yeah. paragraph that is there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't keep open loops. <laughs> it's people reading a book. I thought uh, it would have been nice to have sometimes an illustration for the plants that he used and how he explains how he really sees things uh, like we are more used to to botany and to the naming of things and when he describes how how plants grow but there could have been an illustration from time to time that would have been nice Mm. that's so true i didn't even think about that but that would have been really nice i really enjoyed learning about brambles 
I didn't know what a bramble was to start with. Here in Canada, we call them blackberries, and mm-hmm. they don't really grow where I live anyway. But it, the brambles were very interesting, and I'm going to try summarize what we learned about brambles is that they they grow different ways every year so that based on kind of the type of growth they have, you can tell how long the plant has been growing there, which I thought was just super, super interesting. And also that they um, end up being rooted at both ends. So they grow up and over and fall down and then root themselves, creating like these little tripping hazards. So I thought, oh, brambles, very cool. As someone who has a garden that's infested with blackberries, that that tripping hazard thing really stuck in my mind. It's like, how? Where are they coming from? How is the? Why are they everywhere? And then, yeah, you can never find the end. You can never completely <laughs> dig them up. They're all just like sprouting over and over again. Yeah, Sam. I worked on a uh, restoration site in San Francisco, and my job was just digging up blackberries. Like mm. it was so hard. But I have a bramble quote. I think. The complexity and diversity of brambles is such that relatively few botanists among us are brave enough to embrace them. Those who do are known as batologists, a nickname derived from the ancient Greek baton for blackberry. Uh Uh-huh. That was something where he mentioned batologists like three paragraphs before, and I was like, I don't think it's bats. I think bats would have a scientific (laughs) name. I don't think it's an actual bat. But what the hell is a batologist? And then it took us a few pages before we worked out what a batologist was. I also like that he he used ivy as well as one of the plants that he looked at in a graveyard. And he, uh, even though it's not so much, well, it's also related to the growth pattern, but because they attach to whatever they grow on, that you can't remove it and place it exactly the same way. So you will always leave a trace and the same is true for lichens. So that was interesting. So if you ever want to commit any kind of like crime, beware (laughs) of those plants. (laughs) Don't get close to them. (laughs) Yeah, so this was like they were growing on the gravestones and then they were looking for in case people had been buried into graves already occupied. And that was the thing that he found several possibilities for gravestones that had been disturbed or like clearly had been disturbed based on the botanical evidence. And then they found nothing inside. And I was like, but who is disturbing (laughs) them? And what is that like? Because we know now that it's been moved, but I don't what's happening i was wondering the same i was also like ah oh, this kind of left something unanswered <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think it's teenagers i think we know it's teenagers but like the gothy ones but mm. yeah yeah a lot of an- unanswered questions in this book i'm flipping through the little notes i've made and there's one i put on chapter five and it just says always a dog walker <laughs> Because <laughs> every every case was reported by someone walking their dog, and the dog smells the decaying body, and then they found a body. And I thought to myself, "This is why I don't have a dog." <laughs> yeah, I feel so bad for them. Can you imagine? It's a hazard. Yeah. So did this make y'all want to become forensic botanists? Nope. No. <laughs> no. I kind of did the opposite. <laughs> I, I was clearly like, oh, now I know what this really looks like. I don't even know how I would deal with seeing these things. Like there's, you cannot make unseen things that you see once and they will stick to your mind and your inner eye. I don't know how he can go and sleep at night with this. I mean, not just him, but the whole yeah, group of people who is working on such cases. That must be really 
heavy and he's only doing it once in a while as he's working in a in a museum otherwise and he just gets called for specific cases but i was wondering how how people what kind of strategies do people have who work in such workplaces which are physically challenging and mentally challenging as well yeah i don't know none of us here are working super emotionally like challenging jobs i think I mean, I guess I'm a journalist, but I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I think they're really good at compartmentalization. But I think that is part of the resources argument. Like some of those resources should definitely be spent on counseling and yeah, you know, so true. this kind of support that's probably also not there, right? Realistically. I think my, my angle of I can't do this job was much more pragmatic. I was like, I just, I'm very bad at recognizing leaves. He's recognizing leaves from like half a centimeter of torn leaf. It doesn't even, it's not a full leaf. There's no flowers. And it's, you know, here's a bit of leaf. Go find out where this plant comes from across the entire Britain. This sounds impossible to me. Yeah. And he did it. I was kind of proud of him at that point. He like figured it out. (laughs) Yeah. I think in, in some chapters he, um, he must be good in ecology as well, because from far away from the road, he could already look at the side and guess what kind of plants he would find there. And these were the plants that he actually found there. But he also said that sometimes he gets pictures sent by policemen and that are not ideal pictures. So when he identifies something from a picture, there is always a risk for being wrong. Uh, so then he, yeah he needs to be patient or ask for another picture or whatever he needs to be really sure that this is the plant that they are looking for because they don't have the knowledge. They don't even have the knowledge what it takes, what kind of part of the plant do you need to photograph so that somebody else can recognize what it is. So even that kind of perspective was an interesting one that he is sometimes relying on very suboptimal material if he's not on site himself. Yeah, that was one of the moments where I was like, is he a bit annoyed at the people he's working with sometimes? <laughs> the fit, yeah. Well, they're not trained in a way to know what's important. And most people aren't really when it comes to plant ID anyway, you mm-hmm. know. If they bring like one part of a leaf, yeah, sometimes maybe you could identify. But if you look through like flora um, keys to, to identify things, often you need like parts of the flowers and parts of the fruits and undersides of leaves or top sides or how it's branching, things like that. So it's interesting that he he still was able to come to a conclusion on that. Yeah. I think he needs to, you know, as a botanist, you may be good at identifying a plant and seeing what like where where it's growing, but you need to have a lot of knowledge about the development of the plant itself. Like what are the different growth cycles and how would it react when it was disturbed, which is very specific kind of knowledge that he has in that way that he really can interpret from what is there, what may have happened around this plant at the time whenever and some of the cases were old so they were well one of the cases that was never resolved was i think 30 years old so there he said it's basically impossible but others were a few years old and they really interpret him were of like what has regrown and how do the different plants grow around the body and which ones are underneath and it's a lot of interpretation and sometimes also not ideal seasons when there was for example yeah don't know flowers or whatever sometimes things were in the winter so then you may not have leaves or other material to to look at 
I was left feeling like I didn't want to be a forensic botanist either. And mainly I have the impression that it's a very cold and smelly <laughs> job. <laughs> really stinky and cold and wet. It just left a bit, like a lot of, and, and which was nice on his part because he really communicated like the drudgery and the, the uncomfortable conditions of the job a lot of the time. Yeah, well, you could live in not England and it would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, that's, that's one of the reasons I did lab work is in Australia, you've got 45 degree heat trudging around. Yeah, and then exactly. It's like you've got to wear those, like, full on zip up white man suits, which is like covering you in, all of you in little white film. Imagine that at 45 degrees, you would that's be. That's true. Yeah. Disgusting. Like an Arizona forensic botanist. Mm. I mentioned the advantage of it being so cold because the decaying bodies didn't smell so much. That's true. <laughs> that's what I'll think as we quietly move into winter. Like, it's getting really cold this morning, but that's that's a plus. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if there's any bodies decaying anywhere, they'll be decaying more slowly. Yeah, right. it, just, it was a bit more morbid than I intended, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I found a good example. I have this uh, bookmarked. So this is kind of speaking of kind of the very descriptive grossness. <laughs> he says, there is also a waft of deep fetidity, not the rich natural compounds derived from the breakdown of leaf litter and plant matter. This pong is closer to home. It's the urine of countless lorry drivers intermixed with human feces. Not for the first time. I've just stood in someone's crap. I sigh, proceed, and thank my foresightedness in bringing my best watertight boots. Yeah, that's such a good one. <laughs> it's very emblematic of his writing. <laughs> and then I love the, uh, like, a, a few pages later, he would talk about the silk scarf that he uh, has gotten from some mm -hmm. kind of a bar where he was working and a uh, drag queen left it behind. So he recovered it and that he's wearing it. And then you imagine like where he's going with this silky scarf. And it's like, that feels just so <laughs> out of place. <laughs> it's like really like, playing with opposites. <laughs> yeah. I also like the relationship that he describes with uh, Sophie, that he, he, she is a very interesting person. We don't learn so much about her but uh, he is I think getting a lot of advice from her she seems to be a very wise person very laid back in the way that nothing is really um, disturbing her she can she can get very annoyed and then she kind of uh, holds herself back and is very diplomatic when talking to the police and she seems to be quite of an authority that people listen to her and I, I found she was an interesting character in the book that came into play once in a while uh, but uh, yeah either on the field where he describes uh, her work with really like cartographing or like mapping out how a body's bones are laying around and what we can interpret from that um, but also these evenings in the hotel where they discuss about a case or where they discuss more personal things about how to deal with different people in a, in a situation such as on the crime scene. So that, um, that brought a lot of new perspectives into his work. So I, that, I like that part. 
Yeah, I loved his relationship with Sophie as well. I thought that that was a really nice touch of the book, and I agree that I wanted more Sophie. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Sophie needs a book. (laughs) A book of her own. (laughs) I don't think we can justify reading that for our plant book club. More on the human side, but... Yeah, exactly. Forensic anthropology. I don't know if I had any other major comments to be honest guys yeah i think we can wrap up a little early it's not like we have an hour uh shall we shall we say who this book is for or not for yeah yeah that's a good idea i think it's for someone who has watched a bunch of crime tv shows (laughs) some of the gorier ones Mm -hmm. um and wants to know more and is at least somewhat interested in plants because he does like talk about the like exact how to a lot and like leaf shapes and stuff like that. So um, yeah, if you're both interested in plants and watch a lot of CSI. Yeah. I think CSI is a really good starting point. Actually. He does mention Gil Grissom and from, from CSI. And although like he's sort of a bit complaining, there's this Gil Grissom idea or this, what was it? The, the belief where people think that a scientist can do all of the things all the time and very rapidly and with all the fancy dazzling machines, and this is a bad thing. It is, it is sort of the the thing where people will watch that and think, hey, I, I want to know more about, like, I, I remember watching CSI and seeing this guy play with maggots and see how fast they would, you know, eat a pig carcass or something. And that is something that I was interested in. So, and I, I guess I found this book also very interesting in a similar way. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it The CSI part of it tries to make science cool and it gets people a lot of, or a lot of people interested I think this book is good for people who really like to nerd out on small details. So even if they're maybe not necessarily interested in plants to start with, if you're really kind of a detail-oriented or uh, interested in crime, podcasts, those types of things, you might find this book interesting. I think it's also good for people who wonder what kind of careers you can take on when you are in plant science or have studied botany. So that is an interesting perspective, even though, the, as he says, these jobs are not something where you can apply for. You can't even study <laughs> these aspects. Even sometimes studying botany to that level is difficult today. But it's definitely a career choice that he has made. And sometimes it shows through also how that is different from his work in the museum, where he otherwise is now um, active so, but definitely not a book for a person who is super sensitive. <laughs> not a book for you, did <laughs> Yes. Well, I'm actually wondering if I will read it to the end or maybe I will read it to the end, but I'm not, not definitely not what I usually do reading in the end of the day before I go to bed. And then that's the last thing I, I have immersed myself into. And I could send that already on the first two pages. I think that, oh, this is going to be heavy. <laughs> yeah so do y'all want to do the ratings Tegan do you want to start I would give it four double rooted blackberries out of five I found it quite easy to read it was quite enjoyable and it's been very different from the other stuff that we've read so all in all it was like a nice yeah nice fun weekend read I can continue. I will also give it four out of five uh, half-cold instant coffees by a crime scene. (laughs) I liked it, uh, even though I I got nightmares from it, but I really liked how it was written. It was easy to read. It was detailed. And it opened another perspective for me of how you can use 
knowledge from plants in a completely different setting. I'll also give it four drippy potato salads out of five. (laughs) (laughs) I, I also like that it was different from a lot of the other books we've read lately, which are more like very, very plant focused. And it was just, it was a nice, easy read. It was interesting. It covered topics that I had never really even thought much about before. And I enjoyed his perspective and I would really I would even be interested in reading more by him about about like more of his full life and career because I thought that was very Mm. interesting yeah I would give this three and a half caster beans that are used to make ricin is that right Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and um I would recommend the other book by Patricia Wiltshire <laughs> first if you want to read about a forensic botanist who lives in England. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I enjoyed reading it. Um, there were a couple of things that were annoying about it, like the weird editing problems and the some of the things that he said. Um, but yeah, overall, I liked his voice. It was an engaging read. I think it's a great example as well that even though there was already a book on a very specific subject, somebody else published a book on a very similar subject. At least four people bought it and five. (laughs) (laughs) Because Joram, even he's not here, he also bought the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) And there's plenty of reviews. So (laughs) they're all like, why is chapter 11 cut off? (laughs) So guys, what are we reading next time? I vote we take a voyage into the world of fungi and read Entangled Life by, uh, I think, Martin Sheldrake. Sheldrake sounds right, yeah. I'm very happy to do that, yeah. Me too. I mean, obviously, we will will be disclaiming every five seconds on the podcast, look, fungi, not plants, but... (laughs) (laughs) Aren't they more related to us than they are to plants? Yes, they are. (laughs) And it's it's Merlin Sheldrake, I got Uh, it wrong. Oh, yeah, sorry, do you want to say where people can find you yeah i can start uh, <laughs> you can find uh, me and melissa uh, or as we say in german melissa and me <laughs> never name yourself first uh, at on instagram at flora.l.design on facebook at flora l design ab and on our webpage flora-l.com and you can also listen to our podcast at Flora and Friends, your botanical cup of tea. Yeah, so I am with Yoram usually at Plants and Pipettes. We have a website, www.plantsandpipettes.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Plants and Pipettes and on Twitter at Plants Pipettes. We do have the podcast, but we're taking a little bit of a break right now because exciting things are happening in Yoram's life. So we'll be back Yay, soon. congrats, Yoram. <laughs> have fun editing that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. Leave it in. Okay, so my name is Ellen Earhart. I have a podcast called Plant Crimes. um, And I have lately been working on a column for Popular Science, where I dive into the uh, details of plant care and stuff like that. Um, So yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Ellen Earhart. You can find me on Instagram at Ellen Airplant. Um, I've been taking a little bit of a hiatus on that, but I'm going to revive it again soon because I'm finally getting all my plants back after my move. Um, But yeah, that's it.
Bye. Bye bye. <laughs>《The opening and closing music is from the album Green Ideas from Pine Vogue. You can find the music on Bandcamp where it is published under a Creative Commons license 3.0.